0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Decentralize Me, a podcast with a global perspective on the companies, technologies, and people making the decentralized internet a reality. Now, your hosts, Matt McKinney and Gene Chen. So thank you again for joining us. I'd love to give our users and our community more information about you, Paul, and the Chamber of Digital Commerce. So to start, can you just give us everyone a bit of your background and a little bit more understanding on who the Chamber of Digital Commerce is?
1: You bet, thank you for having me on. So the Chamber of Digital Commerce, it's a DC, Washington, D.C.-based trade association for the blockchain and digital asset industry. Our mission is to promote the acceptance and use of digital assets and blockchain-based technologies. We do that through education and advocacy. We work closely with policymakers, regulatory agencies, and industry, of course, to develop an environment that fosters innovation and jobs and investment. So uh, this is a traditional trade association for the blockchain industry. And I'm very excited to say that we've been at this for a long time now, five years. We have a great background, a great track record, and have been doing amazing work. The Chamber is, is very vibrant. I personally have been here at the chamber for about a year and a half. I was at Georgetown University prior. I was working on blockchain research, leading a research institute there, as well as cybersecurity. But my career actually started in software development, which is one of the reasons why I'm so interested in ArcBlock, because I have been a developer and I understand all the good things that ArcBlock is doing for software developers in the blockchain ecosystem. I did that for about 10 years culminating and working as a chief architect at Verizon here in DC, developing some of their big ordering systems for telecommunications circuits. Then I attended law and business school at night at Georgetown University, and that helped me transition into tech policy, which I've been doing for about the past 15 years now. So in the second career, I guess you'd say, but I stayed with Verizon, worked on internet policy related issues, broadband, net neutrality, all those issues that Verizon was dealing with. I was leading many of those. Eventually left there to go to the Motion Picture Association of America. So had a very interesting offer to go work for the Hollywood studios and help them with tech policy and doing some outreach to the technology community. And then I jumped over to the Internet Society, which is uh, an organization set up by the founders of the Internet, in fact. Over 25 years ago, the founders, Vint Cerf and Bob Kahn, created this Internet Society to help promote Internet policy for the Internet, a global organization. Actually, it's much better known in other countries than it is, I think, in the United States. So it was fun to work there. I've really had some just really interesting experiences in tech policy. Then I mentioned was at Georgetown for a bit. So coming to the chamber was a natural transition. And there's another link between Georgetown and the chamber that is very important. The chamber has an annual event at Georgetown. So I can tell you more about that, too.
0: Yeah, wonderful. Amazing background, by the way. that's uh, You've done it all, it sounds like.
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to get the most out of this life, so I'm yeah, yeah. working hard.
0: No, that's great. And fortunate for the companies like ours to have you know, someone like you kind of working on our behalf. And that kind of leads me to my next question. Can you talk a little bit about the companies who are currently involved or who are members with the chamber and kind of you know, what they're looking to do?
1: It's one of the things that makes the chamber so special and that we have a very diverse base of members, over 200 members, in fact. And they range from large tech companies like Cisco and IBM. There's a lot of the large consultancies like KPMG, PwC, and Deloitte. You have, of course, a lot of startups and a lot of smaller blockchain companies. There's a lot of the large blockchain platforms that are involved. A lot of large banks, the financial industry. We have TD Bank, Wells Fargo, USAA, and JP Morgan Chase. It's just such a diverse membership that it allows us to look at the whole ecosystem and be a very strong advocate. Because when we go to the Hill and we go speak with representatives and regulators, having that kind of backing makes a big difference as a trade association. And it is unique, actually, among all organizations in the blockchain space. We are the world's largest and most established so it's just a very great position to be, in, and we're able to make a difference for the industry.
0: Great. And with that, the insights that you have to the ecosystem, right, with all these companies involved, are you guys seeing a lot of similar trends between maybe the larger companies and the smaller companies, or maybe over the last year, can you describe some of the trends that, that you're beginning to see in kind of the crypto blockchain space?
1: Well, there's been a lot. Those of us who work in the space realize that it moves at lightning speed. So uh, <laughs> that's and that's almost an understatement. I guess the thing that has made the biggest difference over a, in a relatively good span of time now is kind of the rise of the stablecoin and how important that has become, because that has allowed countries to think about using blockchain as their own currency. Have central banks around the world are actually now active looking at it and even developing it you know we hear that china will be rolling out their central bank digital currency very soon and other countries are following suit so that is a big deal i mean i think that just from a policy and economic perspective the fact that blockchain is being adopted in that way is probably one of the the mega trends that i think we've experienced and i'm watching that area very closely
0: So from your perspective, do you think that impacts kind of your role and the chamber's role in public policy? And why do you think public policy, for example, is such a a critical component to the blockchain industry going forward?
1: Public policy really is, even if we don't realize it on a day-to-day basis, it's critical to everything because it's setting the rules of the road for all of society's activities and the way that we interact in our economic relations, you name it. So I think that if you think about how it's already affecting the industry, you have almost every regulatory agency in D.C. taking a look at blockchain from their own perspective. And just to give you an idea of what that means, you can go to organizations like the Securities and Exchange Commission, who regulate in the investments and securities industry. They deem Certain tokens to be securities. Many, in fact, they perceive most of the industry to be dealing in securities. At least, you know, that's uh, what many people perceive. The CFTC, on the other hand, that's the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, they're looking at certain cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and Ether as commodities. The IRS, Treasury, US Department of Treasury, they look at tokens and cryptocurrencies as property. And then You can go to yet another agency, let's say the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, FinCEN. They look at this space as currency. So each one of these has a regulatory regime that goes along with it. And these agencies tend to be very isolated and it makes things very difficult for a lot of companies that are trying to, particularly those that are trying to create cryptocurrencies and tokens that have value and are traded, you have to go through many steps and likely employ many lawyers to understand this landscape. And our goal is to help simplify, to make these rules clear, to propose new legislation that's going to help the industry. And uh, that's what we do on a day-to-day basis here. Mm.
0: And I'm going to put you a little bit on the spot here because I think what we're talking about is there's a lot of companies in the industry overall, and a lot of us have kind of different needs. But there's one company recently that, in fact, I think can break through maybe some of the silos, and uh, that, of course, is Facebook. So I was curious from the Chamber's perspective, you know, is Facebook Libra good or bad for the industry? And maybe from your perspective, you know, do you think Facebook made a miscalculation as it relates to the government and how they approached announcing Libra to the industry overall?
1: Sure. So in this area, I want to speak for myself personally, because the chamber hasn't made any public statements about Facebook's Libra. So I don't want to go out and break new ground here. But I'm happy to give you my personal perspective on it. I think that Libra has been good. I actually think it's been good for the industry. I think it, even though there's many questions raised, and there's a lot of criticism against it, it's forcing policymakers to address it and understand it. And I don't know that we would have that same kind of focus if not for something like libra and whether or not they made a miscalculation out uh, you know i happen to know a number of people there i think they have a very sophisticated government relations group so I don't think they probably made a miscalculation. I think I'm going to suspect they know what they're doing. I don't know that any of us outside will understand that Mm. because it looks like it has got to be very difficult to what they're going through globally. Yeah, it's such an unprecedented thing to have governments around the world come out and call for a moratorium on the (laughs) development of a system. We're not even talking about something that is ready to go or is operating and It's quite mind-boggling. So we are in uncharted territory here, in my opinion, from a a policy perspective, and and it's global, which is really interesting. It's one of the best times and best areas to focus on, I think, in all of tech policy, because it's just such a, a moment of change and recognition. So...
0: I think the Chamber is actually ahead of the curve. One of the I wanted to ask you about was the Chamber actually just started a, a new series of reports around kind of the understanding of digital tokens. And kind of with Libra in the context and, and tokens in general, I mean, maybe you can share some details on what that's all about and kind of what the driving force has been behind that initiative to help people better understand the so-called digital token.
1: Yeah, this has been something that we've been doing for quite a while now. We actually released our second series of reports on digital tokens. The whole series is called Understanding Digital Tokens. The first series going back over a year or so ago was focused more on utility tokens. And now this new series opens up securities tokens and looks at the issues that you have if your token is a security. But that's just one aspect. We have other reports that cover things like the market for tokens, the overviews and trends in that market, consumer protection, anti money laundering, cybersecurity. You know, we're trying to cover all the issues that the industry is having to grapple with. And these work products are on our website. They're excellent, downloadable PDFs you can review, and you don't have to be a member to see them. So please visit digitalchamber.org and benefit from these reports. We've got some members, experts who put a lot of work into these. And I think they're very valuable to the industry.
0: Great. And as far as kind of thinking of users, one of the recent announcements by the chamber that I found to be really interesting, because as someone who's in the industry, I recognize that blockchain is not a local discussion. In fact, it can be national, international. And recently, I saw that the chamber had merged with Canada's largest blockchain trade association as well. And I was curious, how things maybe have changed at the Chamber a since that merger took place, and whether the Chamber was continuing to look at more international expansion outside of North America, for example
1: at the chamber we've always had a very global perspective. We produce a report every week that goes out to our members that covers global updates and we track everything so having Canada come on board was a great addition and helps us do that even better. For example, just this week, the Chamber of Digital Commerce Canada produced a report called the Canadian Blockchain Census, and it's measuring the Canadian blockchain ecosystem, and again, available on our website. It just puts a lot of facts and figures looking at all the different companies in Canada operating in the blockchain space, It's hard to see where we're going, but I anticipate that we will continue to focus in new geographies. It's part of having this strong start that we've had with so many members. We come from a position of strength in the industry, so there are other organizations that are focused specifically on these other areas, and I anticipate that we will be growing. I'm not in a position here at the Chamber to tell you how that's gonna happen, but uh, I, I feel certain it will happen. I should just say, and I think everyone who knows anything about the Chamber knows this, but Perry ann Boring, she's our, our founder and CEO. Really an amazing, a powerhouse, really strong visionary, I think is, is safe to say, uh, in starting this organization and leading it and driving us forward. So um, she brings a lot of energy And I know she has big plans for the chamber.
0: So a few minutes ago, you described uh, some of the different, um, I'll kind of refer to them as silos, you know, within the government in terms of how people view cryptocurrencies and tokens, for example. I'm curious, and, and this is just kind of a, probably more of a direct question to you is, how do we find a, maybe a middle ground where blockchain, you know, cryptocurrencies, technology, and then financial and government services can really coexist? Or do you think they can coexist in a way that, it's kind of representative and meaningful for uh, the everyday user as an example
1: I do believe that I believe that we will head there that's if I didn't, uh, I would be a very depressed advocate so I'm, <laughs> I am absolutely committed to making that happen, and that's what we're doing here. so it's going to take time, obviously it's going to take a lot of education and new rules, new laws. so there, just to give you an idea, just in two thousand nineteen. So at the state level, there's been 249 bills introduced for blockchain-related technology. And at the national level, there's been 36 bills introduced. Uh, So that doesn't even consider like the SEC enforcement actions, 39 of those. So it's pretty remarkable what we're seeing, a lot of activity. We've got our work cut out for us and we're going to do it, but I'm confident we're going to get there.
0: So with all the activities you guys have going on, I'm curious. So for the chamber, you do work with a lot of companies. And in fact, a lot of the companies reside kind of outside the Beltway or outside of Washington, D.C., as an example. How does the chamber work to keep the larger ecosystem engaged and part of that process?
1: We operate a number of working groups, and I personally run some of them. So we have these groups that uh, have periodic calls We also have meetings. We get out and we go visit members and have these special meetings where members are. We've got some people here that I don't think ever unpack their suitcase. But fortunately, that's not me. I I generally get to stay here in the office and, uh, and keep the trains running. But there's just constant outreach that we're doing. We also have a big annual event that I should mention. I referred to it earlier in the introduction, that link to Georgetown. Every year, in March, we have the DC Blockchain Summit, and it is an opportunity for industry and regulatory and policymakers to all get together and talk about the issues. We have two days, day and a half, filled with very interesting panels and discussions. So please put that on your radar, dcblockchainsummit.com and come. Registration is open, in fact. So get your tickets early to get the discounted prices.
0: Right, and one question I had for you—you you kind of talked about a few things earlier, but you know, one of the things I'm curious, kind of as a as an organization and a, somebody who's working in public policy, um, what's the chamber's biggest win so far? Do you think?
1: That's tough. We do so much. The five-year anniversary and 200 members—that's probably it. But uh, that's a big milestone. Maybe that's not a specific win. But just this year, for example, we had Congressional Blockchain Education Day where we encouraged members from from all over the world, all of our members to come into DC and educate policymakers, the Hill staff and and congressmen and senators on this industry. And it was pretty remarkable to be able to do that. And we arranged meetings for everyone. So I think that was a huge win. It is a very good example of of what we do here and helping to educate policymakers. I'm going to say that that's a big win. I don't know if it's the biggest win so far because we do a lot of things, but I think it's representative of what makes us great.
0: And so with those wins, what's next for the chamber, maybe in 2020 or or beyond? What are you all looking to do or achieve as kind of that next big win?
1: Yeah, well, the summit's coming up, so March 11th and 12th. So that's going to be a big win, I know. We do have actually an initiative that is our primary Policy focus, and that is developing a national action plan for blockchain. And what that means is that we want policymakers at the highest level, at the executive level, to be saying positive things about the industry, to understand all of the innovation that's possible, and to actively be promoting it. So, for example, if you look at what um, the executive the White House has done for other technologies like artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and 5G, those are considered, formally considered and recognized as technologies of the future that are being actively promoted. There's executive orders and other things that are happening at the highest levels of government to make those technologies be successful in both government and in the industry. We want blockchain to be in that same group or treated with that same kind of approach to be actively promoted in a positive way. So, I'm sure everyone is quite aware we had very unpleasant tweets that were quite the opposite coming out of the White House. <laughs> so, you know, with uh, the President Trump saying he's not a fan of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrency. So, this is an area where we need to turn things around and we've been aggressively working on that. So, it's our vision to promote this national action plan and to just change that perception and we're working very hard at that. So, we actually have made progress. There are seven members of Congress who wrote a letter to the director of the National Economic Council, Larry Kudlow, requesting that the administration hold a forum on blockchain technology and include blockchain in those initiatives that I just mentioned. Again, everything here in DC takes a little time, but we are continuing to push that process and I believe that will happen in the not-too-distant future. I believe that we will have the highest levels offices in the country saying positive things about blockchain.
0: Absolutely. And Paul, I don't think I could have done a better job telling our community and our users about the digital chamber and why it's such an important part of what we're doing. So I wanna say thanks to you for taking the time to share and educate our community about what the digital chamber is doing and kind of the really important role that you guys are all playing in the blockchain ecosystem overall. So thanks very much for that.
1: Well, Thank you. It's been my privilege. And I just wanna say again, how proud we are to have ArcBlock as a member of the chamber, I'm personally on a personal level as a former software developer, so excited about what you're doing and making this technology more accessible to developers. So we're going to be watching you closely and just so happy that you're so closely engaged with us.